Uh, it's a blessing to be here this morning to uh, preach yet again. Um, I feel like I'm getting more used to this and less nervous and uh, just more excited to preach to my church family. So before we uh, dive into John 15, I'd like for us to pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you have uh, shared this word with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive it and to apply it and to obey it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, like a lot of some of you here, uh, I collected basketball cards. And one of the other things that I collected that I thought was a lot of fun was Pokemon cards. Um, when I was in fourth grade, the original Pokemon craze was going on, and every fourth and fifth grader that I knew had at least some Pokemon cards. I had a big thick stack with a rubber band around it, and also had this card booklet that I would store all my Pokemon cards in. And the biggest thing that I remember from that time period was going to Walmart with a dollar and seeing those silver packs of Pokemon cards and just being excited, like I'm gonna buy two of these packs, I'm gonna run to the car, rip it open, and see if I got any of the Pokemon I needed. I was looking for holographic, and I was looking for the most powerful Pokemon so I could go to school and flex my muscle the next day or Monday. Uh, but what I learned with those Pokemon cards is there was like a bittersweet, very short sense of joy. When I ripped it open, I was joyful. I got some new Pokemon cards. But the reality was, out of a pack of five or ten cards, you got one good one, and the rest of them were pretty much just garbage. And the joy of having new Pokemon cards wore off so fast that you were already in Walmart the next day looking for more Pokemon cards. Uh, I had the same experience with mixed CDs, with getting good grades, with winning track meets. And, and the point is that the joys of this world, they come so quickly, and they go just as quickly. You can probably think of something, whether it's Pokemon cards or whether it's whatever things that you go to for joy, you grab them, you feel this immediate rush of excitement, but the excitement fades. It always fades away. And what Jesus is offering us here is something more long-lasting. Uh, I know you heard Shane read it, but Jesus says that he's calling us to abide so that our, his joy may be in us and our joy may be full. And so this morning, what Jesus is going to show us is that abiding in Christ, it will lead us to pray confidently, to love deeply, and live joyfully. And it's a joy that won't just fade away by Monday. And so the, the first thing that Jesus shows us in this passage is that abiding in him, abiding in Christ, helps us to pray confidently. Look with me at verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What we see is that confident prayer comes from an abiding relationship with Christ. He says, abide if you abide in me. We talked about abiding last week, this relationship with Jesus. And what we see here is Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, I will answer your prayers. You can pray confidently and trust me. And so when we read passages like these, uh, as, as I studied it this week, and maybe as you're encountering it for the first time, or maybe you haven't seen it in a while, you may be wondering, well, really, is, is Jesus really going to give us everything we wish? Does that mean that um, we can just 
ask for anything. But, but what we see is that Jesus first roots this, this call to prayer in an abiding relationship with him and his word abiding within us. So Jesus is saying, first and foremost, your, your abiding in me will shift your desires. Your, your wishes will change as you abide in Christ and his word gets inside of you. What do I mean? When we open the Bible and we read God's word, we see God's will for our lives and for history. And when we encounter God's will, that's what draws us to prayer. Remember, Jesus calls us to bear fruit, to be fruitful Christians. So a lot of what we read and pray about is going to be spiritual fruit. So our desires are changed by the word. And uh, one old author or writer says, if our prayers are to prosper, we need to keep a close friendship with our advocate. So first and foremost, this call to ask for anything you wish is rooted in a friendship with Jesus. It's rooted in a relationship. So is God like uh, Shaq in the movie Kazam? Little boy prayed, or a little boy uh, called out to his genie, and he gets all this junk food flying down from the sky, everything you could imagine, mountains of cheeseburgers and fries and nuggets. Is that what we're talking about here? Is that what Jesus is offering us? No, far from it. Jesus is not giving us a one-way ticket to indulge our flesh. We've got to remember when we listen to these passages to take into account the whole word of God. To, to paraphrase the, the commentator Matthew Henry, if we are delighted in God, God will grant us our heart's desires. So you see, if, if we're abiding in Jesus and he is our delight, if his word is in us and shaping our minds and changing us, then we'll desire what God desires for us. And that's when we can ask for anything we wish. And what does the Bible say about prayer? One of the things it says in Matthew 21, 22, it calls us to pray believing that we have received it. So whatever we pray for, we need the confidence that God is going to give it to us. We also see that prayer is to be according to God's will. If we pray according to God's will, he will grant that to us. That's 1 John 5, 14. And then we're also called to pray according to God's glory. And then if you jump down to verse 16, you see this, this phrase, so that. If you go to the end of verse 16, he, he says he wants us to bear fruit that our fruit may abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If we want God to answer our prayers, the prayers have to come from an abiding relationship with Christ and being in his word. And as we think about this community involvement, this reaching out, this hospitality challenge, our fruitfulness in reaching our community is heavily dependent on our prayer lives. Think about that. We, we called the church, we've called everyone here to engage people in the community for hospitality. We've got to be prayerful people as we do that. It's not as simple as just going to our calendars and writing things down. If we want our efforts to be fruitful, we need to pray that God would make them fruitful. And that's what Jesus is saying. You could literally ask for whatever you wish for the Great Commission, and we can be confident that Jesus is going to answer it. So, so how do we have such confidence in our prayers? How do we ask for whatever we wish knowing that it will be done? 
Look at verse 8. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The, the way, one way you can pray more confidently is to pray in light of the word of God. Is to take your Bible, as you're reading through passages, pray through those passages and, and ask God to do what he says he will do in his word. Uh, a perfect example is actually here in our passage. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We know for a fact that it is God's will for us to be loving people. So take that passage, run through your list of priorities. God, help me to be a better spouse. Lord, help me to love my wife, my husband, as myself. As you have loved me, help me love my spouse. Father, uh, help me love my wayward adult child who has walked out of our home and has walked away from the faith. Help me to love them. Father, help me to love my children when they fight each other, when they're not obeying me, when parenting is a struggle. Lord, help me love my coworkers knowing that they need the gospel. Help me to love them as you love. You see, we can take a passage and let it fill our prayers, let it guide our prayers, and we can trust and know confidently that God is going to grant that. Because when you're his child and you are asking for things according to his will, when your desires are shaped by your relationship with God, he will answer your prayers. Now, this doesn't mean that every time we pray, he's going to give us the, the easy answer. It doesn't mean every time we pray that we're going to get yes or get what we ask for because sometimes we don't ask rightly. James says sometimes we ask amiss to spend it on our pleasure. So Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to give you everything. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer with yes because he's pruning us, he's shaping us, he's bringing us through something, and he needs to say no to that request to answer the bigger request of, Lord, help me bear fruit. So this is difficult to grasp. It's hard sometimes when we pray and we, we think we know what God wants, but we just don't when we think we're praying according to God's will, but for some reason the answer is no. But we can pray confidently that God is going to hear us and he's going to give us what we need to bear fruit. So again, I, I don't want to overqualify it. Ask whatever you wish, but make sure your wishes are in line with his word through an abiding relationship. But next, what do we see? Jesus is calling us, that, or it's, the passage is showing us abiding in Christ helps us to love deeply. Uh, look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I want to slow down for a second. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus, the Son of God from all eternity, in relationship with God, the Father from eternity past, with God, the Holy Spirit, in this triune, three-in-one fellowship is saying, as my Father has loved me, so I love you. In your mess, while you're weak, while you were still a sinner, in eternity past, Jesus set his affections on you. That is what drives our prayer. That is what drives our obedience. That's what drives the Christian life. The pursuit of bearing fruit is that we are loved as the Father loved Jesus, so he loves us. 
in a case that still seems abstract. Look what Jesus says in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus showed the love, that his, the love his father has for him. He showed that to us by dying for us on a cross. Innocent Jesus, perfect son of God, became poor so that we might become rich, came to this earth, bore the cross for us. He hadn't yet done it for his disciples, but he's foreshadowing what he's about to do. This is his farewell discourse. No greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus says. Abide in this love. Christ has loved us with a love too deep for words, inexhaustible. And he's called us out of that love to love others. Abiding in Jesus' love means first remembering, slowing down, and reflecting on this love that I've just talked about. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. That's 1 John chapter 4. We love God because he first loved us. And without recognizing, without living in, without abiding in this love, we become the older brother or we become the younger brother. The older brother says, God doesn't love me enough. I've proven myself. I've done all that I can do. I've done everything he said, and he doesn't love me enough to give me what I want. The younger brother says, God doesn't love me enough. He's trying to make me do things that aren't good for me, make me do things I don't want to do, so I'm out of here. But when we abide in the love of Christ, when we are abiding in this real love, when, it, when we meditate on it, when we dwell on it, when it fills our souls with joy, our obedience to God is no longer to prove ourselves. Our, we're not running away from God because we don't think we can measure up. We come to God and we say, Lord, help me. Here's all I've got to offer. And remember, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But when we abide in his love, he gives us everything that we need. But this passage is tough. I, I don't know why I gave myself two tough passages in the same sermon, but verse 10 hits us a little different. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. That's, that's not easy for, for us to hear because we think that means if we keep the commandments, we're saved. But Jesus kept the Father's commandments perfectly, and we can't do that, so how can we remain in his love? But I think what Jesus is getting at here is actually the experience of his love, the, the living out of his love. And, and the reason I say that is Jesus perfectly kept his father's commandments. His father always loved him from eternity past. But when he was on this earth as a human being, when he was living out his perfectly obedient life, he was actually abiding in the love of his father. He was abiding in the peace and the relationship and the experience of his father's love. And, and the best way I can, can kind of sum this up for language that we can understand is when we're in seasons and patterns of sin, don't we feel far from God? When do you feel that God loves you the least? It's when you're walking in patterns of sin or it's when you haven't been abiding. It's when you have kind of drifted. 
Does that change God's love for you? I don't think so. I believe when we are in Christ, he is the shepherd. No one can snatch us from his hand. His love is inexhaustible, and yet our experience of his love can be changed or, or adapted based on our obedience or our disobedience. So again, I'm not, I'm not saying we can lose our salvation. I'm not saying that, that our obedience doesn't matter. What I'm saying is Jesus is calling us to experience and to live in his love through abiding. Now, for some of you in this room, you can't abide in Jesus' love. You haven't abided in Jesus' love. So you feel as though God can't love you because you don't love him. And the reality is, if you haven't received and believed and, and experienced the true love of Christ, you can't abide in his love. So I, I want to urge those of you who have not yet believed the gospel. I was, I was talking to a guy yesterday. He, he doesn't know the gospel yet, but his face lit up. He smiled when he found out that Jesus could love him where he was, with his shame, with his mistakes, with his flaws. And the gospel message says, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. No greater love than this, that someone die for his friends. But while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were hostile against God, while we were wrestling against God, Jesus died. So if you haven't believed that you can be loved by God, you're looking at exhibit A. While I was his enemy, Christ died for me. Every one of us who has believed the gospel, we were not good enough for Jesus to die for us. We were not worthy enough for Jesus to die for us. He did it apart from anything we could give him because he loves us. I want you to abide in the love of Jesus as well. So when we read, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, how do we how do we wrestle through that? How do we process that? Jump down to verse 12, and, and Jesus helps us understand it. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, when do you feel furthest from God? When you're isolated, when you're being selfish, when you're being self-centered, when you're not loving the people around you. When are, we, when are we not abiding in Christ's love? It's when we refuse to love one another. It's when we refuse to love our spouse or our children or the people in the local church. It's when we get so focused on what we want that we forget about Jesus who laid down all of his preferences, all of the ease and comfort to come and die for us. So, so what do we see here? What is Jesus commanding us when he commands us to love one another. The first thing is he's rooting it in his love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you have loved one another as I have loved you. He's pointing us to sacrificial love. He loved us sacrificially for the joy set before him. He went to the cross despising the shame. Jesus says for us to sacrificially love the people at Grace Church. Jesus is calling us to sacrificially love the people in our homes, to love our neighbors, to love our community. Why? Because he first loved us and gave himself for us. He's calling us to, to love out of a friendship. 
Greater love has no one than this as someone laid down his life for his friends. He could have said enemies. He could have said opponent. He could have said anything else, but he says friends. And then look what he says. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. He made known the gospel. He made known his work as the Messiah, as the Savior. He made known his second coming. Jesus is not treating us as servants and slaves, although we are his subjects, although he is the king. And yet he says, love, because you're my friends. I've shown you the deepest things I know. And I was thinking about it. If you're friends with the king or the president or some sort of leader, the last thing you would do as your friendship grows is undercut his authority, right? The last thing you would do is dishonor your friend who's in leadership. In fact, because you're their friend, you would want to honor and submit to their authority even more. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. If you're my friend, you'll do what I say. Enemies are the ones who reject the king and resist their authority, not friends. But Jesus says, I'm your friend. Abide in me. Spend time with me. Develop and cultivate a friendship. And then verse 16, one of the most glorious doctrines in all of Scripture, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Uh, uh, some obviously say this is just speaking of Jesus choosing the 12 disciples. But as uh, Reformed people, we know that God chooses us before the foundation of the world. And a key word in Ephesians 1 is in love. He predestined us. One of the reasons we love is because we've had the electing love of God shown to us. Before we could do anything good, before we could live a good life, before God could look out in the corridors and see our good works, he loved us. And so we have this love for our neighbor because God first loved us. And then lastly, Jesus speaks of fruitfulness. Why do we love each other? Because our fruit needs to abide. And then he says in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. It's crazy that we should be told that we have to love each other. We're one body, and yet we struggle with it. And so Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, if you pray deeply and confidently according to my will, you'll be able to love these people in this room, regardless of political stances, regardless of views on race or COVID masks or whatever it is. Because the gospel overcomes all of that. But as you're met with these words, keep my commandments. As you're met with these words of love one another, how do you view obedience? Like the older brother, do you think, I got this. But he's not going to honor it anyways. Do you have that mentality? Or, or are you like a uh, younger brother? Do you hear this and you just want to throw it off? Keep my commandments. I don't like that language. Love people. How am I, why should I have to love people? Is that your view of obedience? Because what Jesus is offering us here is true heartfelt obedience that springs from his love. And then I want to finish here. Look at verse 11. This heartfelt obedience leads to joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abiding in Christ helps us to live joyfully. And, and I was just thinking, like, 
what is, how, how can I display or, or what is a picture of joyful obedience? And uh, I thought about my children. Kim can vouch for this. We ask them to clean up their toys in the den. It's World War III. They want to lay on the ground and scream and cry, and it takes them an hour to pick up five toys. But it's 88 degrees outside. We tell them, go clean out the dirty, nasty swimming pool. They run, get the soap, get a towel, get the water hose, scrub, lift up the slide, put it into the pool so they can slide in it, and they'll do all that in five minutes. And the reason is because they know there's joy. There's a reason we're asking them to do these chores. They don't understand that cleaning the den brings mom and dad joy. They do understand that cleaning out the pool brings them joy. And and the reason I say that is so often we think God is this harsh taskmaster. He's just given us all this stuff to do to make our lives miserable. And, And obviously we don't say that, but when we disobey, that's our heart posture. God doesn't want me to be happy right now. He just wants me to follow the rules and do what he says, or or at least the older brother does. I don't know about the younger brother. Um, But what Jesus says is, I'm not telling you all this to bind you up. I'm I'm not telling you all this to, to make your life more difficult or to make your life more lame, right? Like abiding in Jesus, I got stuff to get done. You want me to slow down and be less productive. You want me to go out and reach people in Danville and not be cool around them, but actually be a gospel light? Is that what you're asking? And Jesus says, yes, because of your joy. Because glorifying God, yes, it brings him delight. He's pleased, but it also brings us joy. Through abiding in the word and abiding in prayer and abiding in Christ's love, we can find true and lasting joy. Not the Pokemon card type of joy, not the new iPhone, new car, nice home type of joy that fades as stuff starts to break down and you can't use it anymore. He's offering us eternal joy. But I know that even as I I speak on joy, we may not even have a good definition of joy. What is joy? Uh, Joy is gladness or cheerfulness or happiness in God, not based on our circumstances. And the reason I say in God and not based on our circumstances is because pruning hurts, but we can find joy in the pruning process. Life hurts, but we can find joy in life. Uh, The rest of John 15 and John 16 is not American Christianity. It's pain, it's suffering, it's tribulation, it's persecution. And yet Jesus tells them your joy will be full. I'm about to die. I'm about to go to the cross die, resurrect, sit on my Father's throne. You have me no more. You'll be sorrowful, and yet you'll be full of joy. It's one of those paradoxes that is so hard to figure out, but for those Christians who have suffered greatly and yet know the joy of the Lord all at once, you know that it's there. You felt it. You've lived it. And that's what Jesus is offering us. And notice the joy. He says that my joy may be in you. My joy may be in you. The fullness of joy is in Christ Jesus, and he has put his joy in us. Not the world's joy, my joy. The joy of the Son of God who has forever experienced the joy of his Father. The joy of fellowship, the joy that we'll never be able to fathom or explain or understand. Joy inexpressible, as Peter says. But also notice this joy is full, 
its fullness of joy. It reminds me of uh, Psalm 16, verse 11. In God's presence, in your presence, is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Don't we want to be joyful? Don't we want pleasure? Jesus says, God says in his word, if you come and abide in me, if you get with me, if you seek my face, you can have fullness of joy. And it's more than anything this world can offer because the world can only give us fleeting, fading joys. But Christ gives us full joy. So as we finish up this morning, I want to ask you this. Do you long for joy? Does joy seem far away from you? If you answered yes to either of those questions, Jesus is offering himself to you this morning. Jesus says, come to me, abide in me, be with me, and you will have fullness of joy. Abide in me and my word in you. Ask whatever you wish. Abide in my love. Love one another, and you will find fullness of joy. It's a command. It's an imperative. Abide is an imperative, but it's a joyful, life-giving imperative from our Lord. And I call you this morning, Grace Church, abide in Christ so that you can have full joy this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful that you so loved the world that you sent your son to show his love, a love that can be unmatched by laying down his life for his friends. Father, I pray that as we go and reach Danville, that as we go and take this word, this gospel to our friends, our neighbors, that it would come from an abiding relationship with you. Father, let us not be broken, empty cisterns offering water to people when we haven't tasted it. Lord, help us taste and see that you are good. Help us experience true love and friendship with you so that we can love one another, love our neighbors, love our friends and our family and be on mission for you and your glory. Lord, help us to bear the fruit of love, each and every one of us in this room. And Father, for those who have not yet trusted, that have not yet experienced the abiding love of Jesus, I pray that you would pierce hearts even this very moment, Lord. Draw them to yourself. Show them your friendship so that they may know you and know fullness of joy. This world is empty. It's full of empty pleasures and false joys. But you have promised us fullness of joy if we abide in your son. Teach us to abide. It's in Jesus' name, amen. This old um, Isaac Watts hymn um, moves.